0: You're listening to a sermon by John Kong, pastor of Christian education at New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. It's my uh, privilege to be able to share God's word with you all this morning um, on this first Sunday of 2022. And so our text today actually comes from Isaiah 45. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to our text, Isaiah 45. We're going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 25. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along in your bulletin. The text is printed for you there. And because of the length of the reading, I'll ask you just to remain seated. Isaiah 45, starting in verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. "'Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, "'a pot among earthen pots. "'Does the clay say to him who forms it, "'What are you making, or your work has no handles? "'Woe to him who says to a father, "'What are you begetting, or to a woman, "'with what are you in labor? "'Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, "'and the one who formed him, "'Ask me of things to come. "'Will you command me concerning my children "'and the work of my hands? "'I made the earth and created man on it.' It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. I have stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, surely God is in you, and there is no other. No God besides him. Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge, who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the power it has to change lives. And may your words today by the work of the Holy Spirit encourage us Comfort us and empower us as we embark on this new year in Christ's name. We pray. Amen So 2022 is upon us and maybe many of you are approaching this new year with a lot of emotions Some of you maybe are excited. You've got a lot of plans for this year You plan to get married. You plan to have your first child You plan to be a grandparent for the first time and welcome your first grandchild You plan to get a new job You anticipate graduating high school, graduating college. 2022 is a year full of possibilities, and you can't wait to see what God has in store. Or maybe some of you are approaching 2022 a little bit like me, with with some apprehension. Um, I remember I was just sharing with my life group a couple of weeks ago that I was still trying to process 2020, and then all of a sudden, bam, we're in 2022, Like 2020 was kind of miserable and 2021 last year, to be honest, was kind of a blur. And you have no idea whether this new year will be any better. COVID has been with us for two years now. And after Delta and Omicron, who knows how many other Greek letters we're going to get and how that's going to affect us and impact our lives. Maybe you're nervous about the political landscape. It's not getting any better. Your marriage or your relationship with your kids is continuing to sour. Your finances aren't where you want them to be. Your health isn't improving. You're wishing that 2022 will be a lot better than the last couple of years, but you're not sure and you don't dare to get your hopes up. Well, as we enter into this new year with all these emotions, with a lot of uncertainty, I thought we'd be encouraged to look at something or rather someone who we can trust with absolute certainty. Our text here in Isaiah 45, it's an encouraging from God, it's a message from God to the Israelites, to the Israelites who have experienced miserable year after miserable year. The context of Isaiah 45 is that Israel has been conquered by Babylon. They're in exile. They've been stuck in that situation for decades, and year after year, they're looking for it to get better. They're looking for deliverance. They're hoping to get out of this terrible situation, and yet it only seems to get worse. All right, it's gotten to the point, some of the Israelites are thinking, maybe God has forgotten us. Maybe I should look to other gods. Maybe the gods of Babylon are who I should look to, to put my trust in, to put my hope in. Maybe that's what some of you are feeling today. Maybe the last two years have been so miserable that you're starting to ask, God, have you forgotten me? Why are you letting these things happen? Are you still in control? Should I still trust in you or should I look to other things now to put my trust in? Well, God encouraged the Israelites and he encourages us today in our text that he reminds us that he has not forgotten us. That he is in control. God reminds us he is God. There is no one like him. And because of that we can and we must actually put our trust in him. And so that's what I want to focus on today. That because our God is supreme above all other false gods. We must turn to him to be saved. Because our God is supreme above all other false gods. We must turn to him to be saved. And we're going to look at three things that God reminds us about himself that should encourage us in this new year. And first is God is our sustainer. Second, God is our creator. And third, he is our savior. So our sustainer, our creator, and our savior. So first, God, our sustainer. We see from the very beginning of this chapter, God is going to sustain his people Israel. God tells Israel he's going to free them from exile and he's going to use a man named Cyrus to liberate them. You can see the language God uses here in verse 1. He will use Cyrus to subdue nations, to loose the belts of kings. All the way to verse 13. He says he will use Cyrus to set his exiles free, to set his people Israel free from Babylon. God is showing Israel he is in control that the powers of this world bend to his will, that nations and kings rise and fall at his bidding. And if there was any doubt as to who was in charge, if for some reason Israel or Cyrus himself thought that he was conquering nations under his own power, we see God emphasize that he is the one who does all these things. Look at at all those first-person pronouns. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze. I will give you the treasures of darkness. I will, I will, I will do these things. And God will do these things for a reason. Why does he do them? It's that so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. God is telling Israel, he sustains them. He watches over them. And he does those so that they may know that he is God. That there is no one else who can command and control the destinies of this world like God does. And the reason God is placing so much emphasis that he sustains is because Israel has started to doubt God's control. But I mentioned Israel has been in exile for so long that they've started to, to wonder, they've started to question, they've started to think, maybe their God isn't powerful enough. And maybe they should trust in the gods of Babylon now. Babylon is in charge, right? They're the conquering kingdom. Maybe their gods are more powerful. And so you can see in verse 20, for example, God scolds Israel for, for caring about their wooden idols, right? for, for praying to false gods that cannot save. None of the idols can declare what God has declared. None of the idols can, make, can cause some things to come to pass like what God makes things come to pass. And there in verse 21, God stresses again, It was I, the Lord, who told and declared these things from long ago. There is no other God besides me. You can't help but hear that phrase repeated over and over and over again in this passage. I am the Lord and there is no other. God is hammering this truth into Israel's hearts. That he is supreme over all other false gods. That there is no point looking at other idols because they cannot sustain you like God does. What about you? Have the last two years caused you to doubt and to question God's sovereignty? Have you started to put your trust in other things besides God? Or maybe it's it's not that you don't trust God anymore, but it's that you trust God and something else just as much. Maybe it's God and science. Maybe it's God and the government. Or maybe it's something closer. Maybe it's God and your job. Maybe it's God and your family. Maybe it's God and your health. God, in your finances. God is telling us, he's reminding us that those things don't even come close to him. Those are good things that God has given us. But if they rise to the level of idols, God is reminding us that those things don't predict the future. Those things can't make things come to pass. God is supreme because he controls those things. He is above all those things. Only he is God. He is the only one that sustains us. And so that truth should comfort us. It should encourage us. And you would think that Israel, when they hear the news that God is in control, that he is going to sustain them, that he is going to free them from exile, that they'd be excited, that they'd be enthusiastic. We're going to be free. We're going to leave Babylon. We're going to go back to Israel. What good news that is. Yet isn't it interesting in verse 9, God issues a warning of woe to Israel. It seems as if Israel, instead of being excited about this good news, they're, they're actually not happy. Instead, they're actually questioning God. And the reason Israel is not as enthusiastic, the reason they're not happy, the reason they're questioning God is because of how God is going to liberate them. If you ask an Israelite how they would hope God would plan to liberate them and free them from exile, they'd probably tell you, we hope God raises up an Israelite. We hope God raises up a political figure to help us overthrow Babylon, to overthrow this foreign kingdom. For us to be able to go back to Israel, free from foreign oppression, to rule ourselves, to go back to the days that it was like in King David. They would want to go back to those good old days. But instead, God's chosen way of deliverance for them doesn't fit the way they would have chosen to be liberated. Right? God is going to use a man named Cyrus. He's going to use the king of Persia, a foreigner, a pagan, not an Israelite, to free them. Right? And God even goes so far in verse 1 to call Cyrus his anointed. Right? That's a title reserved only for people like King David. And so some of the Israelites are, are, are offended. Some of them might be even questioning God. Wait, wait, God, are you jumping ship? Like, is, is Persia going to be your chosen people now? Are you going to leave Israel? They're questioning God. And so God warns them. He says, who are you to question me? Does the clay speak back to its potter? Does creation strive against its creator? if we truly believe that God is sovereign over everything, then we have to believe that God is big enough to use whatever person or whatever method he wills to bring about his purposes. Or Maybe you want God to wipe out the pandemic this year. Or maybe you want God to change up the political landscape this year. And who knows? Maybe God will. But what if he wipes out this pandemic not in the way you expect? What if he does change up the political landscape but not with the results that you wanted? If those things happen, will you still submit to his sovereignty? Will you still trust that he cares for you? Will will you still trust that he has you right where he wants you? This pattern of God Using methods to sustain us in ways that we don't expect happens throughout the Bible and ultimately it culminates in him sending his son Jesus to us, isn't it? We just celebrated Christmas last month and during this Advent season, we are reminded, Pastor Ted reminded us that God sent Jesus to save us, not in the way we expected, right? He didn't send Jesus to be born in a palace, to be raised as a king, That's what we would have expected. That's how we would have probably planned it. But God's ways are higher than our ways. The incarnation was a shock. The virgin birth was a scandal. The cross in the eyes of the world was embarrassing. And yet that's how God chose to save us. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged That our Lord is our sustainer. He is the only one who knows what will happen. And he's the only one who actually will make those things come to pass. He has the perfect plan for you. And it might not be what you expect. And it might not be what you want. But God is telling you this new year. My plan is better than you think. And so first God reminds us that he is our sustainer. And the second thing he reminds us here in our text is that he is our creator, right? If it wasn't encouraging enough to know that God sustains us, that he controls all the circumstances around us, he reminds Israel and he reminds us that he is the one who created all those circumstances in the first place. There's a lot of creation language in this chapter, And we see that over and over again. And some theologians have said that Isaiah 45 is actually like a commentary to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We see in verse 12, verse 18, God reminds Israel, He made the earth. He created man to fill it. It was His hands that stretched out the heavens. And then at the end of verse 18, after He declares how He formed the earth and how He made man to fill it, he reminds them that he is the Lord and there is no other. Right? No other idols, no other false gods can create like God does. Right? In fact, those false gods, those idols, they're made from things that God created. Right? Like wood, wooden idols there in chapter twenty, in verse 20. There's no comparison. God is supreme over all things. Because God made all things. Now, what's especially fascinating, I think, about God's declaration here as our Creator is a statement he makes there in verse 7. We're all familiar with God creating light, we're all familiar with God creating all things good. But look at what God says here in verse 7. God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God is emphasizing here that he created everything. Everything. The darkness alongside the light. Both exist because of God. Now, that probably does raise a question in your mind. what, What is God actually saying here? Is God saying that he created evil? Like, how are we supposed to tie this in with our theology? How are we supposed to align with the truth we know that God is not the author of evil? Well, I think it's helpful to remember the context of of this passage. God is addressing the exiled Israelites. The Israelites who are exiled in Babylon. Babylon. He is is reassuring them of his supremacy. He's reminding them he is the master of creation. He is the master of history. The Babylonian gods don't hold a candle to him. And so this statement is one more statement of him further giving proof to his divinity and his supremacy. What God is saying here is that the exile happened because I declared it. I created this calamity, this exile, because you broke the covenant with me. And yet, if I am the one who created this exile for you, then I am also the one who has the power to end it. I am not the author of evil, but evil is not outside of my control. That's how supreme our God is. I know it's hard to wrap our minds around this. We, we don't think of God sometimes um, thinking about God, our creator, in these terms, right? as the one who creates darkness and light, the one who creates well-being and calamity. But again, we see this ultimately in Jesus, right? in the murder of God's own son by our guilty hands. Right, later on in Isaiah, just a couple of chapters later in Isaiah 53, The prophet, he prophesies about Jesus, saying it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Peter says the same thing about Jesus. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But God created the ultimate calamity of crushing his son for you. And if you believe that, And if you trust in that, then we have hope, right? No matter what disaster comes your way, no matter how difficult 2022 may be, you have hope that we know that our God who creates all things, even the darkness, is also the God who will pull us out of that darkness into his glorious light. And so that leads me to my last point. God, our Savior. God sustains us. He created us. He created that ultimate calamity of sacrificing His Son all for a purpose, and that was to save us. We see God identified as our Savior multiple places in our text. Verses 15, verse 17, God is identified as the Savior, saves His people with an everlasting salvation. All the proclamations of God's might and majesty, they culminate in verse 21. He says, he was the one who planned all those things. He was the one who declared all, the, all those things come to pass. And he does all those things because he is the Lord. He is a righteous God. He is a savior and there is none like him. All right, so again, here near the end of Isaiah 45. We hear again that phrase. He is supreme over all other false gods because he alone can save. Right? Verse 20, going back again, tells us how other gods people were praying to, they cannot save them. Right? In fact, not only can those gods not save them, but those gods actually crush those who worship them. Right, notice, how the people, instead of being carried by their gods, they are the ones doing the carrying. Right? Instead of their gods delivering them, their gods are becoming burdens to them. God is saying, look at those gods that you trust in. Right? Look at how burdensome they are. Look at how you have to carry them. Are you gonna compare me to them? Now, most of us in America, we, we probably don't carry around physical idols anymore. But how many of you are carrying other false gods and idols in your heart, in your lives? Or have you replaced God with other things? Right? Some of the things we mentioned, your, your health, your, your finances, your family, your self-image, your love relationships. Right, those things are good things that God has given us. But if they rise to become levels of idols in our lives, then they will become a burden to us. They will crush us. And eventually they will kill us. Right? Compare that with our God. Right? Our God doesn't become a burden to us. He doesn't make us carry him. But instead, what does he do? He carries us. He carries your burden for you. Right? If we serve a God that we have to carry, that leads to our destruction. But if the one true God carries us, that leads to our salvation. And we see that again come to fruition, ultimately, in Jesus. Where Jesus wants to bear your burdens. He wants to carry your burdens. He tells you, come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus carried the burden of having to live a perfect life for you so he could clothe you with his righteousness. He carried your sins in his body on the cross so he would die the death you should have died. And just as Jesus was carried into heaven in his ascension, you and I, Christian, will one day also rise with him. And be with him forever. That is Jesus. That is our Lord and Savior. There is no other like him. And because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, every knee shall bow and every tongue will swear allegiance to him. You notice um, Isaiah says that. God says that in verse 23. And that phrase is used there to describe God. But Paul takes that phrase in Philippians 2 and he applies it to Jesus. Paul says "At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul is saying that everything here in Isaiah 45 that was used to describe God, we apply to Jesus as well. Jesus was there in creation. Jesus continues to sustain us and Jesus ultimately will save us. Right, look at some of those verses here in our text of what it says, God, what's, what God will do and apply it to Jesus. Right, verse 17, it is in Christ that we are not put to shame. It is in Christ that we are saved with an everlasting salvation. Verse 24, it is in Christ that we have righteousness and have strength. In verse 25, only in Christ are we justified and shall glory. Jesus is our righteous God and Savior. There is none besides him. And so in light of these truths, we must do what verse 22 says. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. If you're making New Year's resolutions this year, I encourage you to make this verse your New Year's resolution. If you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a Christian watching this online, please consider turning away from whatever it is you are putting your trust in to get you through 2022 and turn to Jesus. Turn to Christ, who is the only one who can save you. I turn to him, trust in him, and he will carry you to salvation. And if you are a Christian here today, if you're watching and you are a Christian, well, continue to turn to Jesus. When life gets difficult, when 2022 throws more trials and tribulations your way, when you are tempted to look at something else, to look to turn your eyes away from Jesus and to trust in something else, remember that Jesus created you and he sustained you and he ultimately will save you. He will carry you through this storm. Whatever storm is in your life, he will save you. And so my prayer for all of you this year is that you do have a happy new year. I genuinely hope and wish that 2022 will be a lot smoother than the last couple years have been. But even if it isn't, we have a Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ who is like no other. Turn to him this year and be carried. Turn to him this year and be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have lived through another year. Some of us have sailed through it and others of us have barely survived it. And now we stand at the opening of a new year. Some of us anxious, some lost, some full of weariness. But Lord, we know that last year happened just as you appointed and this year will also go according to your plan. You know what the end of this year will bring for you have already declared it. You know it for some of us whether this year will be our last. You also know it for some this year will be the year of their conversion and coming to have life in you. You know all the trouble with which this year will burden our hearts, but you also hold in your hand all the blessings that will come to us. Therefore, Father, help us to remember to turn to you this year, to turn to your son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who created us, who sustains us, and who will carry us to our salvation. Jesus, you are our Lord, and there is no other. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to John Kong. Pastor of Christian Education at New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.